0: That was amazing, give it up for Pastor Asha. I'm still gonna call her Pastor Asha. I told Patrick on the way over, that "That was my whole message. She did it, it was amazing. Hopefully we get even more. Um, But I'm going to uh, first just continue the theme of superheroes as you guys probably guessed maybe I would do. So I, I love movies, I love all kinds of movies. But there's a particular genre that I have a heart for that I I really like. It's not just superheroes, but it's the blockbuster movies. You know the kind where it's like the world is in peril danger. Like something has happened and there needs to be some solution. Whether it's like from a person or a team, maybe it's from like a magical object that we learn about, but something. And sometimes those movies, if we're honest, are really bad. But other times, like, they can be, like, quite good. And I want to talk to you about two particular scenes that are usually in movies like these. Because there's this time in the movie. It's usually the third act of the movie. And something bad has happened. Our hero, heroes, you know, magical object maybe. Like, they're they're down for the count. And there's usually these two scenes that show uh, how dire the situation is. So two camera angles. First one, tight on the face, right? You just see the face, the eyes are closed. The music, which was swelling, is now very still. And you're seeing them for five, for four, for three. Remember, eyes closed again, eyes closed, then boom, the eyes open up. And then usually the music happens at the same time. It's like, da, 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 da. Like that's scene one. Or scene two. It's not not headshot anymore, it's torso to head. Some of you guys already know what's coming. Torso to head. Tied in though, torso and head. And then there's this sense of like stillness again. Music has like stopped. The score, whatever John Williams, it doesn't matter. Like nothing is happening. And then five, four, three. Eyes are still usually closed at this point. Eyes are closed. And then all of a sudden you get a <gasps> it's like the gasp, right? It's like that rattle. See, someone knows they're nodding it's these two scenes and either like one or two things happen at that time one is that like that's the end like it's about the end of the movie so like there's the hero's welcome the return like the hugs like the warmth or it's not done yet there's still more and we're gonna go and you know do some things there's kids here so I can't say everything but like some bad stuff you know happens to the bad people that's what we'll say those are different ways we see like this power happen happen for a, a kind of uh, restoration, a kind of renewal when the fight seemed to be almost gone. And I, I think actually when people are sitting you know, in their living room or in the movie theater, I think a few things are happening in those moments. Again, I'm like, uh, I do some reaching for these films, so pardon if you think it's a reach. But I think about three things are happening. One is that people are just reacting to the power of the story. People are reacting to the power of the story. Wow, like, that's an amazing story. I thought this person had no hope and now they came back. Second thing is, people are connecting to a bigger story than just them. You know, if you were watching movies with me from probably age five to now, um, I probably was with you like tugging on like your shirt, being like, look, look, it's, it's the Jesus story. It's the Jesus story. It's the Jesus story. So whether you've been like my parent while I've been doing that, or like my friend, if we were really close, maybe I'd do that. Definitely Tina, I've done that before. And when my kids are older, Okay, no, let's be honest. I've done it with my kids now. Like, Zoe, Zoe, it's the Jesus story. Like, it's like that bigger story. But if you're like a religious studies person, if you know some things, if you've been on Wikipedia, you know there's some other stories like that too. Just, I'm just being honest. Like, you think, you know, Osiris, you know, this Egyptian god that's like this god of like, you know, resurrection or renewal. There's other cultural gods that have the same story. So what's that about? Well, I think there's still something about like this, it points to this bigger thing. This bigger story, whether it's the Jesus story or maybe another story of like a god figure, but I actually think the reason why we care about the story the most, and maybe this is one that's going to be seem like the most far fetched, I think that's because it's not just the story of the character. Again, I'm not going to say that I shed tears over Optimus Prime. I don't think I've even watched a Transformers movie. Of course not. That'd be weird. Um, So I'm not going to say it's like you know those characters. I'm not going to even say it's you know uh, a religious figure like Jesus. I actually think people have a moving reaction. Because they're thinking about their story. I think it's because you think you're thinking about your story. The ways that you're connected to a kind of next thing. That when you've been at a place of defeat, a place of fear, a place of death or dying, I think you've wondered, what's next for me? And I think those stories actually connect to that thing in you. I, I really do. I think people have kind of been drawn in based on that. What's going to happen to me when my back is against the wall, when lights go out for me, when I'm faced with a hard situation. And those movies tell us that death no longer has a hold. That can be our story too. It turns out that exact thing, the resurrection of the dead, that's what's at stake here in first Corinthians, the letter that Paul has written. Chapter 15, that's what's at stake. It's kind of weird. It's not the resurrection of Jesus that's at stake. And you kind of have to read the letter to understand that. But people are asking the question, what does it mean that there's the resurrection of the dead? I don't think that's a thing. And Paul speaks very powerfully to say, oh, no, it is. And there's something connected to your story about this very reality that you have to know. You must know. If you don't know it, you don't really get the Jesus story. That's what's at stake here. Without Jesus' resurrection, where is ours? Paul says, nowhere. Like, that's what he thinks. So as we begin this talk, I want to ask you to step in the waters of believing in what resurrection teaches. To just consider that. To think about where life could come in your life, knowing that we might expect death. Where does life come instead? And I want to ask you just three quick questions as we open up this talk To hopefully get you thinking about where might you need this powerful resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus. Yes, that's something that we see in the life of Jesus. But really, the fact that you will be raised too. Where do your eyes need to be opened to a situation that needs life? Where do you need to think something is possible? Where right now you don't think it's possible at all. Where do you need to be able to breathe the breath of life. A situation maybe where your breath has been taken from you a little bit. Your body's been tightened up a little bit. Where do you need to breathe the breath of life? Where do you need life in a situation of death? And maybe most crucially related to our text, how would you live differently if you trusted in the power of the resurrection? Not just the resurrection of Jesus, the one that we trust in, but your resurrection the one that will happen in the end, through the power of Jesus? How would you live differently if you believed that? So, that's what we'll be up to. We'll have a few more times of asking some questions throughout this message, and we'll have a time at the end to respond to some things I think God is doing in our midst. Before we do any of that, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us your life, and that your spirit would be all over this green close to this area, but all over the green. God, would you just give your life in your restoration God, to pray that you do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this message that Paul's teaching is part of what Paul calls the gospel, the good news. And he says, this is a message that he's received and it's a message that he's given. I remember one time, I think maybe a few weeks ago, I talked about the gospel as a passed on faith, that like we receive it from someone, but then we also pass it on. that's the only way it gets to us. It's 2022. You know, we're in a different area than where Jesus was or different kinds of people than Jesus's own ethnicity and cultural story. And yet somehow we have this faith. So he talks a little bit about this in verses one through four. This is chapter 15. If you want to follow along. Paul says this Now I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you, as of first importance, what I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is Paul's opening. He's saying, I received something good and I gave away something good. And that good news is that there's forgiveness of sins because this man, Jesus, died and was raised. And what I love about this is it says that the resurrection is the beginning of the story. The resurrection is the middle of the story. And the resurrection is the end of the story. There's no advanced message here. There's no, well, it was the resurrection first, but then if you, you know, look at the Wikipedia, and then if you kind of add the YouTube, and if you go on the TikTok, and then there's something. No, no, no. It's just the resurrection. It's the way it started. It's how it's going, and it's how it will finish. That's really good news because you already know through even reading this what Paul says the gospel of resurrection is. It doesn't change There's not an advanced version. You don't have to learn your way in. You don't have to behave your way in. You just have to receive it. And it's your beginning, it's your middle, and it's your end. This community of faith was started by a proclamation of the gospel of resurrection. And he's saying to it, come on, just keep going in that same way. There's no more, like, kind of message. It's just the same message. Believed, responded to, going deeper, And then Paul continues in 5 through 11. And what's interesting is for us, we think in our day, yeah, the resurrection of Jesus, like we need to know, like, if we can believe that, how do we believe something so ancient, so mysterious? And that's not a wrong question. You know, I think if you were to ask maybe your coworkers, your neighbors, people that go to school with your kid, hey, do you believe the resurrection of Jesus? They might say, no. Some might say, who's Jesus? Some might say, you mean Jesus? He's still alive. Like, People might be very confused by that question. But what is happening in Paul's time is people actually have an assumption that the resurrection is real and that it happened. And We have to kind of study the text to look at that. You can look at 5 through 11 on your own time, but I'll just tell you what it says. It's Paul saying, hey, remember, Peter saw Jesus. The apostles saw Jesus. People that are hearing the letter being read, they interacted with Jesus. Like, we all know that this happened. So like, the message is true, but like, he was just kind of pointing out the obvious. These are people who believed in the resurrection because it was very near. This is, I think, the earliest written kind of like proclamation that the resurrection was a real event. And for Paul, it's like, well, of course you believe it. You proclaimed, we proclaimed, and you believed. And you either know someone that knew Jesus while he was alive or when he was ascended, or you don't. But it's, it's in the community. It's like us talking about like current events of our lives. But let's say we wrote a letter about it. And then a hundred years later, people are like, wait, so it was called COVID-19, but it lasted like till 20, Is it two, 23? We we don't know yet, right? Like, I don't, I don't, that probably isn't true. Well, it is true. We all know it, right? But like, if it was a hundred years later in a letter, we might be confused, but we're not confused now. And they weren't confused then. It seems what they're confused about is this argument that the dead aren't raised. And I will read 12 through 19 because this is the part that really talks about that. So if you're following along, you can pick up in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, uh, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's like this big kind of statement from Paul. But essentially, he's throwing down a gauntlet here, and he's connecting the resurrection of Jesus to the resurrection of the dead, the people of Christ that belong to Christ, that will come uh, kind of in faith at the end of all things. They'll be with Jesus in the end. And then he does a laundry list to say, what else breaks if people's resurrection isn't a reality? And he says six things that we've already heard very succinctly, but I just want to recap them again. The first is he says that preaching is meaningless. What I'm doing is doesn't mean anything if there's no resurrection of the dead, because there's no real message that has power. So preaching wouldn't matter. Two, he says faith is without substance. There's nothing to trust in, because if resurrection of the dead isn't a thing, then that means Christ's resurrection isn't a thing, and what would we be trusting in? Three, he says the apostles would be dishonest. These people wouldn't have integrity, because they would have been lying. Four, that sin would still have power, and our sins would not be forgiven, because Our sins were forgiven through Christ having power. Five, folks who died, who loved and followed Jesus would stay dead. They wouldn't be part of this grand fellowship of life. And six, maybe the most personal, is he says, we, people who believe in Jesus, we are to be pitied since our whole faith is more or less a joke without the resurrection of the dead, without the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And think about that. That's Paul not saying that those things aren't true, that those things are true if Jesus isn't raised. He's saying that if we don't believe that our story is connected to the raising of Jesus, that's a huge difference, right? There's something about us that maybe says, hey, I know Jesus like, did this incredible thing. I believe that Jesus was raised for us, was resurrected. But if you're telling me that my story ends like that, ends hopefully, ends with life, ends with abundance, I can't believe that. Have you seen what's going on in my life? The situations that have happened? If you're trying to tell me that I'm part of this mystical reality with Christ, I just don't know if my story could be that good. If my story could be that connected to someone who is uh, amazing, who's wonderful. I don't know if I can buy that. Paul says, if you can't buy that, then the whole thing doesn't work. Of course, Paul thinks something otherwise. Otherwise, in this rumor that has been swirling around the community of Corinth that's been bearing bad fruit. He says it here in verse 20 and then till 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human. For as all die in Adam, which is the first person that we see in Genesis, so all will be made alive in Christ but each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom of God, kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler, every authority, every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his, defeat, under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul's very clear here: our natural death is connected to the original story of humanity, where we separated ourselves from God. But Christ came; He came to give life, and life abundantly, so that it's no longer uh, it's no longer the bad end that it seemed it would be. The end is death being defeated. Turns out, this is pretty epic indeed, kind of like some of those superhero stories that Asha was referring to. And Paul kind of goes in on that a little bit because he says, I am living differently because of this message. He says, my life does look a little different because of this resurrection story of the dead and of Jesus. Paul seems to have tasted and seen that life. And he's a little bit like throwing shade. I'm not sure if you've ever caught Paul like throwing shade, kind of like using the text to be a little spicy. But I think he's doing that here. You know, let's look in 30 through 34. 34. And why are we putting ourselves in danger every hour? Paul says, I die every day. That is as certain, brothers and sisters, as my boasting of you, a boast that I make in Christ Jesus our Lord. Favorite verse, 32. If I fought with wild animals at Ephesus with merely a human perspective, what would I have gained by it? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Sober up as you rightly ought to, and sin no more. For some people have no knowledge of God. I say this to you, to your shame. Paul is talking about two big narratives. One that we might find a lot more familiar, and one that might be a little bit more obscure to us, if we're honest. The first is this narrative of YOLO, basically. You only live once. Like, turn up, let's go. Like, eat, drink, be merry. Like, let's get at it. Paul is like someone who's super religious, right? Like. He's been the Pharisee of all Pharisees, been, like, the most religious person in this community. He's saying, I know what they say on the streets. Don't think I was that holy. They say, like, eat, drink, and be merry. And guess what, y'all? If there's no resurrection of the dead, that's, like, the best thing to do. Like, this is what Paul's saying. Like, you probably have, like, a prophet of the day, like, a prophet of your age, a prophet of your time. I'm looking for, like, you boomers or Gen Xers or millennials. Like, you know, for me as a millennial, like, this, like, kind of prophet of eat, drink, merry his name is Drake. Some of you might know him, maybe not personally, but you know the music. This is basically the thesis of like, all his songs. Like there's something you can do tonight. It's like eat, drink, be merry, have fun. And he's like, it's worth it. And Paul says, guess what? If there's no is the dead, maybe take Drake up on it. Like really, like he's actually kind of saying that. I don't know what profit it is for you and your cultural story, maybe your favorite one. Again, you don't have to say it out loud. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm embarrassing myself, but that's profound cuz he's saying these things actually do give a temporary comfort. They give a temporary buzz or high. And if there's nothing real at the end of this, those are people just at least chasing to like have a good time. He's like that's actually better. But if there's a different reality, if there's a resurrection of the dead, if there's the resurrection of Jesus, then there's something different altogether. YOLO should not be your gospel. But only if you believe that. If not, go for it. Now, some religious folk are like a little bit confused. Or, Wait, did the pastor just say what? Hey, I didn't say to go do that. I said, if you don't believe it, then like Paul's basically saying it doesn't matter that much. But if you do want to believe in the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus, if you do believe those things, then there's a different narrative that Jesus is calling us into. And it's really profound. And it is epic. There's a message that death is an enemy that will be defeated by Jesus, that is defeated by Jesus, and it frees us up to live lives where we might be put in danger. And I love Paul's little testimony, if you caught it. I don't know, like, what happened to him at Ephesus that was so bad, but he's like, if I fought with wild animals at Ephesus with a merely human perspective, what would I have gained? Okay, Paul, I don't know what the wild animals are. Is it horses? Is it pigs? Is it boars? Are these, like, demonic animals? Like, who sent them to you? I have no idea, but I hear Paul saying, Y'all, I do hard things, but I do those hard things because I believe in an end where there's life, capital L life. I believe in an end where my life is everlasting. So even if I have to fight wild animals on this side of heaven, it's worth it. Especially if y'all would believe it too. He's inviting us in deeper. And I need to ask you a question based on even that Pauline little clip that's truly random and also is, I think, worth laughing at. But it makes me wonder What was the last risk you took that was done in the confidence of the resurrection of the dead? What was the last risk you took in your life that was done with the confidence of the resurrection of the dead? I see someone in the eye and like, well, dag. I'm like, yeah, it's true. This fact that because Jesus has been raised, you will too. What's the last decision you made that was with that confidence? That's a hard question. I was thinking just about even people in my life who have, like, made decisions like that. And I was thinking about uh, Kiana, our family pastor. Uh, there was a shooting that happened uh, in Fairhaven near this place uh, called G-Mart. And, you know, Kiana hit me up on text. It was like, hey, I feel like we need to go there. There was a shooting that happened, and we need to be people of peace that, like, speak life to this uh, establishment. And I was not about to do that that day, but, you know, prompted by Kiana, I was like, Okay, l- yeah, let's go, of course, yeah, of course. I was about to text you that, actually. That's what, what I was about to do. And so we went, and then we were there, and we see uh, on the, the wall of the building these little holes, and then these kind of little yellow tapes. And, like, Kiana got that, I don't know how you found out, it was, like, the New Haven Independent or something, she found out fast. So we still saw, like, the police tape. And it was, like, these are, like, you know, where the bullets are. And then Kiana just looks at me and goes, wait, we could get shot right now. And if you don't know Kiana, like, that's kind of how Kiana talks about stuff. She's like we could like, they could go down. And I was like, well, let's pray real quick. So, you know, we're, we're good. We're covered. But basically she was, you know, asking that question, like, why are we here? And I think like her heart already knew she was here because like, that's where Jesus was. It's in this place of danger, actually, this place of like fear, but she was bringing the spirit. She was saying as a person of Christ, I need to be in those places i think about doing liturgies of homicide and for me uh these are like kind of acts of obedience we do where when people are killed we go to neighborhoods the exact place where they were shot and proclaim life and for me i'm doing this as an act of obedience i'm trying to just follow jesus in it but i know for other people that i've talked to when you went you're like that was scary josh like someone got shot in this neighborhood like a week two weeks ago and i brought my kids And that's you all responding and saying, but I need to be there because I know there's a resurrection of the dead so I can live in a different kind of way. I can actually think of actions I took in my life thinking, well, I think I'm going to do this because I feel okay with the risk given what's going to happen in the end. A powerful time as a college sophomore deciding to go to live in Jerusalem for three months. My parents were like, don't do it, don't do it. There's a lot of violence that was happening on the street. They're just like, why would you do this? I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like Jesus is calling me, and like, I'm okay. Like, I kind of, it was one of my first adult decisions. Of like, I'm squaring it away. Like, I'm good. Communities of people that lived in a neighborhood called Kensington, saying, we want to live here to be neighbors, to be people of peace. I think about some, what some of our communities is doing now, even exploring nonviolence, and then taking that out into the wider vineyard community, the movement of churches we belong to. And people are like, yeah, let's go. I'm like, do you all know what you're signing up for? Like, I'm scared. Like, actually, like, I'm, like, becoming scared now because, like, this is, like, kind of moving on, like, getting some traction. I'm like, wait, nonviolence getting traction means, like, bad things could happen soon. They'd be good in the end, but, like, they might be bad in the short term. And people are like, oh, I know, but, like, let's go. And I'm like, I think I'm supposed to lead this, at least for a little bit before I hopefully find the person that's really going to lead it. But, like, I think right now I'm kind of, like, I'm struggling with that. I, don't, I haven't answered this question yet. And maybe you're in that same place in your life. Where is the truth of resurrection inviting you to take a genuine risk in the face of death? And maybe it won't be as like fanfare, but maybe it's just fear of death. Maybe it's just discomfort. Maybe it's dying. Maybe it's something that feels like dying for you. Are you making that risk because of how protected you are given the resurrection of the dead? Or like this community, are you struggling to believe that that's true? Because if that's the case, Paul has a lot of words for you. Jesus has a lot of words for you. Now, I want to just do one more thing before sharing a few stories and some invitations. I want to invite you to soak in some scripture. I'm just going to read a good amount of scripture at you. And it's part of the scripture with Paul asking, uh, responding to people saying, well, how does this work? And I can't tell if this is the how that's like a sincere how. You know, like what, how would the resurrection body work? Or if it's like a kid doesn't want to go to sleep, so they still ask you questions how. Some parents here know about that, right? Like, I I can't tell from the text. But either way, Paul addresses it and answers it. So I just want to start in 35 and read to to the end. So again, it's a good chunk of scripture, but do what you need to do to kind of connect. If you need to just get your shoulders back a little bit, if you need to close your eyes, but just listen. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? with what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, even stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a physical body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus is it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth made of dust, the second man is from heaven. As one of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as one of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the one of dust, we will also bear the image of the one in heaven. Verse 50. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Look, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying is written, Will be fulfilled. Death has swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the gospel, this mysterious message of resurrection that's become real to us. He's saying this how it, 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 it matters. And Paul gives some good responses, but he's basically saying, do you see, though, if there's a physical body, of course, there's a spiritual one. If it could be sown in weakness, of course, it can be raised in power. If you're sown in dishonor, of course you're going to be honorable. And he says most clearly, death is not the end. Death is not the last word. Death is not your story. It's a story of life and life abundant. And that comes by believing that you can be raised because Christ has been raised. There's two ways I think this has an impact on us. I wanted to share a few stories and then call us to respond. The first is the way that death shrinks itself to be our own version of whatever we're going through. There's not always this uh, struggle with like a death in the ways that it, you might like kind of fear it the most. But death unfortunately shrinks itself. And I want to speak to people who might not resonate with like this kind of, well, I feel like my life's you know, kind of going okay. I don't feel like there's a situation of death or dying. Like, because there's something still that comes with the work of death. Maybe it's chronic anxiety, maybe it's dread that we live in, especially when we're motivated by lack, we're motivated by fear, maybe aversion to sacrifice. I've been thinking a lot about that. One of my friends, he's actually doing a a Kickstarter campaign right now. He's trying to raise $15,000, he's like just below $11,000 and I think has 30 some hours to go. And the way the campaign is set up is if you don't, get all of it. You don't get any of it. You might think, is he like kind of worried right now? He is. He's been doing this for about two weeks. And like, I can just feel the anxiety, the weight, man, I've put so much out. He's done videos. He's done TikToks. He's done email people. He's talked to people. And it's just so much putting yourself out there. And I just feel the burden of this. I was trying to encourage him. I told him the story. It's a story from scripture of like there's something you're doing of just trying to get more and like seeing the miracle of the more you are getting because, hey, almost $11,000, that's pretty good. It's just not what he needs right now. But I was telling him the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you know that story, it's not that Jesus like, you know, does a little cool dance and then hit something and there's like all the fish and bread that you need. That's not how the story is. You all know how it is, right? It's that you have a little piece of fish. You have a little piece of bread. And then each time there's more each time there's more, but he actually, Jesus, the way that he d- like facilitates the miracle, it comes out in your giving it away. In your giving it away. In your emptying yourself. If you have s- trouble with fear or lack, I mean, honestly, it's a great miracle in the end, but it's a horrible miracle as you're doing it. Because you're like, Jesus, I'm giving away the, la- I'm giving away, I'm giving away the, ah! There's like a, almost like you feel it physically. Like, is it going to be enough? Like, is this miracle enough? Is this good thing enough? And some of you all know what I'm talking about because that's how you are showing up in life. You're like, I don't know if the, what I'm doing is enough. This good day doesn't feel good at the end of the day when I get my emails and I see I have so much more to do. When you look at your bank account, or when you think about your relationship status, or when you think about any number of situation that's not giving you what you want and you're frustrated even if you've experienced something good in that day, Miracles that are slow can make you even not think that that's a miracle, which is the enemy. That's death winning. But there's a key part at the end of that story, and it's actually in all the accounts of the feedings, because there's more than just the five thousand, where the disciples look at what they have at the end of the day. And if you have been around me for any length of time, or you've done activities with me, I always point this out. There's a whole basket full of bread for them. So the twelve disciples, after feeding the five thousand, they have abundance, a whole basketful of bread just for them, but it's abundance in the end. And what my challenge to you is, if this resonates, is there's abundance in the end for you, and there's actually abundance now, but the way they're coming just look very different. This capital L life we have in the end is gonna be without pain, without sorrow, without heartache. That seems so amazing, so beautiful, but guess what? That same life is coming to us right now. It's just that we're pressed on every side. That we're persecuted, but not abandoned but there's something real that's coming for us. And I want you to hope in that. And the second story is just that fact that death is not the end. And it impacts us if we're going through situations of death or dying, and if you're in that situation, my heart goes out to you and I wanna speak to you right now. Because those situations feel like, Josh, no amount of good news that you share right now can change how I feel. I know what's real, I know what's impending or what's happening. And unfortunately, I share that with you. Um, You know, about two months ago, one of my close friends passed away. It's a heartache. It's saddening. I'm trying to grieve and trying to find ways to grieve. But something else has been happening along the way, which is I've really listened and learned from God as I'm challenged by hearing so many people share how much my friend loved Jesus, how much he belonged to Christ, being at the funeral and people share stories of how he loved out loud. He didn't wait, you know, until, uh, something happened to share love. He, he actually did it proactively. And people said, and he sang to Jesus and he prayed to Jesus and he walked with Jesus. And this is a man that you sometimes, you know, certain weekends, maybe you could confuse him for that. Like, you know, eat, drink, marry. Let's just be honest. Right. But there's a deeper core of loving the Lord. And as I wrestle with that, I, I'm so sad. But I think about how death hasn't got the last word in his life. Death didn't swallow him up. Death isn't victorious over him. He's actually with Jesus, with the resurrection of the dead. And having someone that I was so close to be not here has made me just realize so much, well, where else could he be? He loved Jesus. Of course he's with the Lord. This stuff is real. The resurrection of the dead is real. The resurrection of Jesus is real. And that means that our lives should be different. Because I think his life was changed, was made different. I think even in the ordinary things of life, our life can be changed, and be made different. And I want to give you all a chance to respond to that like, difference-making gospel that we believe in. Paul seems so convicted that if the resurrection of the dead is real, the resurrection of Jesus is going to make a big difference in our lives. But we have to be open to it. So I just feel like the Spirit's doing uh, a handful of things in the space that we're in. In a second, I'm going to invite Todd up to just come and share some more words. But first, I just want to give you two opportunities. Um, these are going to be opportunities for you to commit. And the first is for people who are hearing this like life-giving message and you feel like you're just outside of it. And you're like, I feel like I need to commit to Jesus, to knowing who Jesus is, either for the first time or knowing who Jesus is as a commitment that you're making again after for some time away. And the second commitment is going to be people that need to do business with God on what risks to take given the resurrection of the dead. So there's something about that, like, oh, if you really believe in this, like you can live differently. I just feel like there's a few people that are being highlighted that just know, oh, I know that's for me. There's something. And again, that could be a consecrated time of prayer. That could be you already know what you have to do. That could feel intense or not. I'm not saying what it looks like. I'm just saying I feel like God's pricking people's hearts, that there's something you know, given the resurrection of the dead is a real thing. You're like, oh, I think I actually need to live differently. And God's inviting me to do that. So those are just two invitations I'm going to give just want to pray for us before I do. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Because I feel like you want to do some real business with us as the family of God and as people who want to make a decision to become part of that family. There's something so good about this good news, but we need to receive things. A certain kind of friendship with Jesus, a certain kind of boldness based on the clarity with which Paul is talking to an ancient community and to us. So Holy Spirit, would you be present right here? Amen. So if you've heard this and you know that your next step is just to respond um, to having faith in Jesus, whether that's a first-time decision or a recommitment to your faith uh, from some time away, some time where maybe you were confused, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. You could stand and just say, I want to be part of this family of God. I want to be part of this community that's marked by resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus and also the resurrection that you can partake too. So that's you. I just invite you to stand up, to say yes to Jesus. just want to invite us to hold space in this moment for people who are here who want to make that decision. And also, even if you want to pray for people, you're like, I don't think someone's made this decision. I want to pray for them to respond to that. Just encourage you to do that as well in your seat. Let me just pray right now. I'm going to give one more invitation after that. God, I just thank you for who you are. And I pray, God, for people uh, who need to start a relationship with Jesus or to commit again deeply to that relationship. I just pray a blessing over them, God. Whether they're in the space, whether they stood or didn't stand, whether there's people we know, we just want to pray life over people. God, would you have your way? And I just want to also make a call for the second group, people that feel like there's something about their story, where you're called to a different kind of risk taken, given what you see in the scripture. Because because uh, there's resurrection of the dead and the there's resurrection for us in the end, you've been challenged by Jesus, even in this time, to live differently. And you don't need to know what that looks like. You just need to know that there's a calling to do some business with God. I just want to invite you to stand, if that's you. Something about this call to live in the power of the resurrection connected to the resurrection of the dead. You know, there's something that Jesus is doing in you. Just gonna give it a bit more space if anyone else just wants to pop to your feet. If you know there's something the Lord's doing in you around that. I wanna pray. Whether you're seated, whether you're standing, I wanna pray. God, I pray for a resurrection life to come right now. For it to be something you do, God, in the folks who are standing, God, in all of us, that says, yes to resurrection life, calling us to a certain kind of risk-taking. That we are more empowered by your spirit of life than we are motivated by death or fear of dying. And God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves where we feel like influenced by this way of death that's either in our wider society, maybe in our communities, maybe in us. I speak life over death. I speak resurrection life over us, God. And I pray for lives that will be empowered by the Holy Spirit as a response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming close to us, that we would be people that are more marked by life than anything else. I feel like there's a few more things uh, the Lord is doing, and one is just for people who want to, whenever we break for our time of prayer and have the worship team come up, the worship team can come up to you if they want. And you just want prayer for life. You just like, I just want a kind of prayer of life over me. Like resurrection life, it, it can feel like an abstract phrase, be right, like, I just wanna pray that. Like I wanna feel that power. If that's you, I just invite you to get prayer uh, when we uh, break for a time of having prayer ministers, because I feel like there's an invitation to feel and experience the power of God today through that resurrection that Jesus has, that also he invites us into. I'm going to invite Todd to share some more. Yeah.